title of the message is Following Jesus. And this is the latter part of the Gospel of John where Jesus is choosing some of his disciples. Now, you know, there were 12 disciples, but these, in this uh, chapter, we see five that are chosen by Christ in the opening chapter of the Gospel of John. And we learn uh, several things. One is in the way that Jesus reaches out and chooses these individuals, but we also learn a little bit, kind of a back uh, story, of how they in turn reached others in bringing others to Christ. So there's several ways that we can see things here. And uh, three things in each of these uh, callings uh, of these five individuals that we kind of want to make note of and pay attention to. And we see how they're different in each case. We want to look at uh, the individuals and they were called and what evangelistic method did Jesus use? You know, there's many methods, one message. Uh, what was the barrier that they had to overcome, uh, that they had to overcome in following after Jesus? And, and something I find interesting is how Jesus' call to each one of these individuals, as we see in other places in Scripture, that Jesus' call was unique to their temperament, their personality, their character. You know, aren't you glad God deals all of us as individuals? You know, that everybody's different. God uh, knows how to touch and reach all of us as individuals. And so those are some things that we looked at last week. And uh, I'll just kind of very briefly uh, look at those this morning before we get to uh, the third and fourth disciple. But the first we saw was Andrew and John following Jesus. And that begins verse 35. And the next day again, John. Now that's John the Baptist. John the Baptizer. I know it's a little confusing because we have the Gospel of John, but that's a different John. That's, we call him the Disciple John, Apostle John. But in context, if you remember, we talked about John the Baptist, and so this John that it's referring to and two of his disciples, that's John the Baptist. And these two disciples are disciples, which just means student. They're students of John the Baptist. They're, he's kind of their teacher. And uh, they were standing there, and he looked at Jesus as Jesus walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Now, it says two of his disciples, and in verse 40, it identifies one of them, in verse 40, um, and identifies one of them as Andrew, but we know uh, that the other one who's unnamed is the Apostle John, and the Apostle John really never refers to himself when he writes about himself. Uh, sometimes you might see just the phrase, the disciple that Jesus loved. That's referring to the Apostle John. But many times John does not refer to himself. But we know that uh, the second disciple besides Andrew and John, uh, or Andrew, was the Apostle John. Now, the method, just briefly, it's uh, already kind of filled in there in your outline. The method that was used was uh, preaching. Many of you came to Christ through the preaching of the Word, verse uh, uh, was it uh, verse uh, 36 says, uh, and John the Baptist uh, looked with his disciples, and as Jesus walked by, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. He proclaimed, There's the Lamb of God. There's the Messiah. And, uh, you know, in a shorthand, he was saying, Look to Jesus. That's a good, listen, if you're going to preach anything, that's a good thing to say. Look to Jesus. All right? That's what John was doing. He was preaching. Many of us come to faith in Christ that way. And then the tradition 
for these two disciples, the tradition they had to overcome was they had to leave what was known to follow somebody unknown. They had to leave their, they were very comfortable being students or disciples of John the baptizer, but they had to leave that, that comfortable little tradition of being disciples of John the Baptist to go after and follow after Jesus. And sometimes we have to overcome our traditions, if you will. Sometimes we have to overcome things that we're comfortable with. Maybe the way that uh, we were raised in church, the way we did church, and all of a sudden we start learning and growing in God, and we're growing in the Word, and we're like, wow, I never heard that before. That wasn't the way I was raised. But we're being challenged in growing in God, and so sometimes we have to leave our tradition, all right? So they had to kind of make that decision, and the good thing is John was encouraging them, and it says that they followed him. When he said, there's Jesus, the, the Lamb of God, they followed after Jesus. And Jesus, again, the way he reached them, his call fit their character, fit their character. You see, in uh, verse 38, when Jesus turned and saw them following him, uh, he said, what are you seeking? If you have the New International Version, the NIV, uh, it says, what do you want? You know, he's like seeing these men follow behind him. And he turns and says, what do you want? And they said, rabbi. Rabbi just means teacher. It's a very respectful term, means teacher. Uh, where, where are you staying? That's kind of an odd, odd request. But here's what I want you to see, that their personality of John and Andrew they were very relational. They said, where are you staying? And here's, here's really what's going on. And is that, and you see verse 39, Jesus said, come and you will see. And they came where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the ninth hour, roughly, or the tenth hour, which had been on that eastern time scale, would have been about four in the afternoon. And so they stayed with him. What are they saying when they said, where are you staying? When he said, what do you want? And they said, where are you staying? This is, they were very relational. They wanted, to, they wanted to kind of hang out with Jesus. They wanted to spend time talking to Jesus. They wanted to learn and, and get to know him. Some people uh, are very relational. If you are familiar with, uh, and you know, there's all sorts of different studies on personality types or whatever, but there is one that's the, kind of the simplest, the four basic ones, and this, was, this is a person who is sanguine. Some of you may have heard that term. They're very people-oriented. Uh, they love, they're energized by people. Some of you are like that. Some of you are not. Some of you are drained by people. Uh, but some of you are energized people. I mean, if there's a get-together, there's a party, there's what, you know, whatever, you're, you're right there. I'm all in. You just love, you're very relational. And again, we all have parts of this. But these guys were relational, and what I love about this, and this is why I point these out, is that Jesus knew how to reach each one of these different people. They were very relational. So what did he say? Hey, come to where I'm staying, and we'll spend the day together. We'll talk. They wanted that relate. They weren't interested in religion. They wanted a relationship. They wanted to spend time with Jesus, all right? Now, there's next disciple, the big guy, Peter. Uh, Peter follows Jesus. We looked at that last week, verse 40 and 42. Now, what I love is that Andrew, he's the, uh, we see that he's the brother. Verse 40, one of the two who heard John uh, speak, that's John the Baptist speak, and followed Jesus was Andrew. He was one of those disciples, Simon Peter's brother, identifies him. 
Now, what did he do? He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. You ought to mark that in your Bible. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said to Peter, You are Simon, the son of John, or if you have the King James, son of Bar-Jonah. B-A-R just means son, son of Jonah, son of John. Simon, the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, what was the evangelistic method that was used to reach Peter was a personal witness. What did Andrew, little brother, first thing he did was he went and got big brother and said, we found the Messiah. We found the Christ. The first thing he did was he uh, went and got his brother Peter. And if you look at Andrew's life, you'll see that Andrew was always involved in every time we see him, I wouldn't say every time, but most of the time we see him, he's bringing people to Jesus. That's a good trait, right? That's a good characteristic. Uh, He's known for bringing people to Jesus. And the barrier that Peter had to overcome, think about it. I don't know about you, but I'm the little brother. I have three older brothers. Two are in heaven, and one is not. He's in West Virginia. All right, I'll let you just meditate on that a minute. But anyway, um, but he loves it there. That's okay. Uh, And uh, they are big brothers, or if you're a little sister, normally they are not prone to listen to little brother or little sister's advice. If anybody, you know, even though you might be right, they just have a hard time acknowledging sometimes because they don't want to take advice or counsel from the little brother, right? And so, but so Peter, he kind of had to he that he kind of had to break that barrier of pride because he was very willing to go with little brother Andrew instead of pushing back and saying, "What do you know?" What do you know? You, know? you wouldn't know the Messiah if he came up and slapped you. I mean, what do you, you, you? I'm not following after you. You don't know anything. If anybody wants to know, I'll know. I'm, I mean, I'm older than you. I'm wiser. I run this fishing business. But what did he do? He, he went and came to Jesus. Now, what was the calling that was unique to the way that Jesus reached Peter? And it was what I call purpose-centered. You may have a better word, but he said, he, verse 42... Andrew, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him, saw him, and said, you are Simon. Now, in the Greek, Simon, the name, you know, names have much more meaning than sometimes we, we attach to them. And that means, uh, that can mean pebble or stones. In other words, your name is Simon, little rock, little pebble, the son of John. But I'm going to call you Cephas, which in the Greek means Peter, and that means rock, boulder. Now, if you know anything about Peter's life, when you think of a rock, as I said this last week, you think of the Rock of Gibraltar, you know, the Prudential Life Insurance. Their logo is the Rock of Gibraltar, okay? Why? That's a picture of stability, all right? Peter was not stable. I mean, he could be all over the map sometimes until he was filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, and then you see a dramatic change. But what is Jesus saying? He says, look, I know who you are, but I also know who you will be when I'm finished with you. Boy, that's good news for me. I'm, I'm far from finished. Far from finished. And I'm thankful that in that, he gave him a sense of purpose. You remember later in the other Gospels, 
we see this even supported where he, he calls him and says, I, you're, fishing, you're fishing for the fish, but I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to give you a much greater purpose. Some people, and you see that with Peter. I mean, Peter was, I mean, he was always all in. I mean, he was that choleric, talk about personality types. He was that choleric personality. He was passionate. I mean, he would jump in before he even knew what he was jumping into. When Jesus was out walking on the water, I mean, he didn't, he didn't analyze it or whatever. He just, he just jumped on the water. And, he was, and then when he like realized, wait a minute, this isn't supposed, this is, you know, he, he failed physics in and, and, uh, and Hebrew Academy, but he knew he wasn't supposed to be walking. And when he looked down, remember what it said, he sunk down? But he was just that passionate guy. He was the guy that was all in. Sometimes he was that impetuous, you know, uh, when Jesus said about that he would, uh, the Son of Man must suffer and go to the cross. What was his reaction? No way! No way! You're not going to the cross. I- I'll defend you. He was just that kind of, that, he had that type A choleric personality. He was passionate. He loved, he was one of those people that is very drawn to the cause. And that's the way some of you are, that there's a sense where you want, you're following Jesus, you want to be part of something bigger than yourself. You want to be part of something that there's, there's a sense of meaning and purpose with my life. When they look at the dash, you know what the dash is on the tombstone? Born 1962, died, whatever it is, 20, we'll say 2050, we'll throw it out there. Uh, but that dash... That was your life. That's what your life is brought down to. A little zip, a dash. The brevity of life, the Bible says, is like a what? It's like a breath, hand breath, a vapor. I want my dash to be lived, not putting my ladder against the wrong wall. I don't want to be successful at doing wrong things. And look back and think, oh, I wish I could do it all over again. Many times, as, and I think it's very common for most of us to look back as we all get older and, and we have regrets. We wish we'd done this differently. We wish we'd made this decision. That's just, that's just I think, normal. But it doesn't always have to be that way where we can go into our latter years with less regrets because we've, by God's grace, we've... We've asked God to lead us and guide us. But what I love about Peter, God was going to take this pebble and he said, I'm going to make you a rock. And we see that rock. We see the same guy that when Jesus was being betrayed, and, or actually he was on trial and he was being beaten and flogged and, and uh, just tortured basically, preparing for the cross. And a little girl came up to him in their courtyard and said, hey, I, I know who you are. You're one, of those, you're one of his followers. And what did Peter do? Three times. Even cursed at her. Or cursed. And denying Jesus. That same pebble, what do we see in Acts 2? Somebody standing boldly before the crowd without fear. Talking about Jesus. Church history tells us that, G, that Peter uh, was killed was martyred and he by Rome because he was kind of the top dog he wasn't the pope okay just make sure you know that but 
but he was kind of that lead disciple. He was the spokesman. He's kind of the lead dog, if you will. And when it came time for Rome, they arrested him. We're going to put him to death. He requested to be crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Christ. So we see the pebble who became the rock. The rock. All right, we're going to look at the second part and look at two other disciples this morning. And on your listener's guide, that'll be on the back part there. And so the next day, it says, verse 43, we see Philip, a man named Philip, follows Jesus. This is number three. Philip follows Jesus, a man by the name of Philip. Verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Real simple. I mean, it doesn't say a whole lot. Just that says the next day, Jesus decided, he had to go to Galilee, found a man named Philip and said, follow me. What was the evangelistic method, if you will, that Jesus, uh, that was employed here? Well, the evangelistic method was he was sought out. He was sought out. Jesus came to him personally. Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Jesus, in his... uh, and the, the, the uniqueness of him being fully man, fully God, Jesus knew that there was this Philip there, and he decided to go to Galilee. Uh, Philip was not brought by a brother. He wasn't uh, pointed out by a preacher or a teacher. Uh, he was brought by Jesus himself. He said, Jesus said, I want you to follow me, and Philip followed him, and his barrier was... In this case, he had no one to bring him. Jesus went and got him. Jesus knew, I believe, before the foundation of the earth, that Jesus knew about Philip, and Jesus went and got him. No one was there to bring him. That was his barrier. He didn't have that that direction to be led. Jesus, now, in one sense, uh, all of us, all of us are sought and chosen by Christ first. Jesus said in John 6, no one can come to me, that speaks about ability, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And that word literally is the word drag. Drags him, brings him. Uh, and so our sinful nature, in a spiritual sense, disables the innate ability to seek after God. If God hadn't sought me... If God hadn't purposed to come after me, uh, I would have never sought him first. You remember what we're learning on Wednesday nights and experiencing God. God is always at work. And God initiates this relationship with us. And not only does he initiate relationship, but God invites us to be a part of his agenda. That's the Third aspect of the experiencing God. You know, when I was thinking about this, uh, how Jesus purposed in verse 43 to go to Galilee and seek after Philip, I was thinking about another scripture that we'll get to later in John chapter 4. It'll be on the screen. This is the time when Jesus was at the uh, well um, and he met a woman there who was coming there to uh, get water from the well. 
uh, and I'll just, I kind of put a couple of verses together for time's sake, but how Jesus left Judea, verse 3 of John 4, and departed again for Galilee, and it says, verse 4, he had to pass through Samaria. Don't let that just glow by you. Just like when we read earlier in verse 43, Jesus decided to go where Philip was. Here it says he had to pass through Samaria. Now, if you study a little bit about what's going on there, you knew that Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. And that's kind of an understatement. And Jews would go out of their way to avoid going through Samaria. I won't say any particular towns in our area, but there are times you will go around somewhere. Here's, here's a positive example. If any of you drive up north and have to pass through Atlanta, you want to make sure that you go through Atlanta somewhere between 10 and 2 during the day or 10 and 2 in the middle of the night. Hello? Because you know you can what? Get stuck, you know, there, all right? So, but in a negative sense, uh, they avoided Samaria, but Jesus, the Bible says that he had to pass through Samaria. And if you read it, why did he have to go there? Because there was somebody that he had purpose to reveal himself to. And the Bible says that that was a woman from Samaria. She herself came out to draw water. Jesus had an appointment with divine destiny. Aren't you glad that Jesus came after us? Aren't you glad that Jesus sought us? I know we think that we found, we say, I found God. Well, God was never lost. We're the ones that were lost. The Bible pictures Jesus as the one who seeks after the lost. But notice the way that uh, Philip's character, kind of that third little slot there under Philip. And I put the word passive. You may, again, have a better word, but he was uh, what in that personality type. We talk about sanguine, people-oriented, choleric, type A, passionate, you know, kind of the first one to open their mouth kind of people. But he was more phlegmatic. Phlegmatic speaks of somebody who's kind of easygoing, passive, you know, nothing seems to excite them. They're kind of unemotional. You couldn't get a rise out of them if, you know, you threw a bomb in front of them, you know? I mean, the greatest compliment they could give you, if something is great, you ever come to somebody, and here's how you know a phlegmatic. You come to them and you're excited about something. This is the best. And they go, yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. I won't leave names absent from this morning. It's not that they're, they don't have emotions, but it's just that they tend to be kind of a very easy, you know, nothing really rouses them too much. So passive, that may seem negative, and I don't mean it in a negative way, but Philip, uh, he, you know, there wasn't any driving force, and again, I just suggest some of these. Wouldn't it seem to be a driving force in his life to seek after this Messiah? I mean, it's interesting. Remember when Andrew went after Peter and he says, we have found the Messiah. It's like there's, you know, if you kind of read between the white space, you get a sense that there was a backstory that they were seeking the Messiah. They were looking. You know, Philip was just kind of like, you know, well, you know, if it comes, it comes. If I 
you know, come Messiah knocks on my door, you know, I welcome him in. I mean, he's just kind of that, he's, you know, he's not going to have that get up and go. He's good. A phlegmatic person is really good about pointing out problems, but they're not going to initiate taking care of the problem. Yeah, you need to fix such and such. Okay, will you go get it? Oh, well, I, 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 yeah, maybe, I don't know. You know, that's just their temperament. That's their personality. Um, it's interesting, there's several references to Philip and John, and uh, I'll just kind of allude to a few of them. You remember when uh, later on in John 6, these aren't on the screen, that uh, Jesus is going to feed the multitude, feed 5,000. And it, the Bible says that he asked Philip the question, there's a lot of people here, where are we going to get bread? And Philip's response was, I don't know, I mean, 200 denarii worth of bread, uh, that's not going to be enough to feed anybody, that's not enough. I mean, his answer was like, I don't know, I don't have enough money to go out and feed all these people. That was kind of Philip's temperament. Instead of like, master, you tell us what to do, you know, I mean, whatever. He was just like, I don't know, I don't have enough money to go pay for this crowd. You know, you're the one who invited them. Uh, <laughs> he didn't say that, but. And then uh, later on, there is a group in John 12, there is a group of non-Jews, Greeks, who come to Philip and say, sir, we want to see Jesus. You know what Philip does? He says, okay, let me take you to Andrew. He'll take you to Jesus. Philip's like, you go see this guy. That's his, that was just kind of his personality. Uh, remember when Jesus said uh, later on in John 14, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And Philip, he says, Jesus, just one thing. If you will just show us the Father. And whatever Jesus like, have I not been with you this long? It's like, Philip's just like, look, you know, I don't have time for all this. We just kind of cut to the chase and just show us, you know? I mean, he's just like, come on, make it easy for me, right? But it, again, that personality doesn't mean that's a bad, that's just the way God's wired them. But what I love is that Jesus knows how we're all wired and we all have a sovereign purpose in the kingdom of God. Now, this is what's really cool. Fast forward to the book of Acts, and you see that in Acts chapter 8, Philip is used. Remember the Bible, if you read in Acts, don't do it now, but make a note of it. In Acts chapter 8, the angel of the Lord comes to Philip and wakes him up and tells him to run and catch up to this chariot where this high official from Ethiopia is in this chariot reading the book of Isaiah, reading about Christ, and the Holy Spirit takes him and, and has him run up, and he is used to uh, convert this Ethiopian uh, official to Jesus Christ, baptizes him. And later on in uh, the book of Acts, we see that Peter, or not Peter, we see that Philip is used maybe five years later, or several few years later, that he went to Samaria, I'm not sure, do I have this on the screen? Yeah, Philip went down to the city of Samaria, okay? This is Mr. Uh, this is Mr. Uh, phlegmatic, this is Mr. Passive. But notice the difference the Holy Spirit does in his life. Now in Acts chapter 8, several years later, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them, 
the Christ. He went down. He, he's, he's initiating. Verse uh, 6. And the crowds in Samaria with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. And the Bible would say in verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he what? Preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized both men and women. So what do we see about this guy? We see what Jesus can do to Mr. Laidback, Mr. Easygoing. What did God use? God used him to be a great evangelist to tell people about Christ. That is what God can do when he takes. So don't be hung up on, and this is sometimes a thing I don't like about these personality things, is coming and say, well, I, yeah, I don't do that. I'm, I'm phlegmatic. I, I can't do that. I don't care, you know, I don't care if you flag man, whatever, you're paid to, you know, imagine going to your boss, and your boss says, hey, uh, I need you to work some overtime. <laughs> I'm, pastor said I'm phlegmatic, and I don't work overtime. <laughs> well, does your church have a welfare program, because you're going to need it, right? <laughs> no. Don't be, it's never, never about who you are, it's what Jesus will make you and what you become. Just like Peter the rock. And we see that with Philip. But there's a last person we want to look at. And his name is Nathaniel. Now it's interesting. Only in John is he called Nathaniel. In the rest of the Gospels he's referred to as Bartholomew. Again, in the language Bar, B-A-R means son of. Thalamu, so he's the son of Thalamu, Bartholomew. But here in John, he's called Nathaniel, only in the Gospel of John. Verse 44, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Philip. And here Philip, notice the chain link, the domino. Uh, Philip, Philip now, he found Nathaniel. Philip followed Jesus, and the first thing he did in verse 45 was that he found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. What is shorthand for that? We have found him who, in our language, the Old Testament points to. Do you remember on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24? I always talk about it because it's just such a great chapter. That after the resurrection, we have Jesus walking... Uh, on the road to Emmaus with some other disciples. And he kind of comes alongside of him. Now he is resurrected, has a resurrected body. And he comes along and says, and I'm paraphrasing, why are you downcast? Why are you so sad? And they say, haven't you heard of what's been going on in Jerusalem? And he kind of, you know, inquires a little bit. And then it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he showed those things concerning himself. What did he do? I don't know if he literally started in Genesis and went to Malachi, but he showed all those things that were types and symbols and pictures going through the very uh, beginning in Genesis chapter 3.15 where the promise in the middle of humankind's darkest hour of sin where God promised the seed of the woman that would crush the serpent's head. Do you realize that is a prophetic promise of Messiah right there in Genesis 3.15 that Jesus is the one who will, he's the serpent crusher. You realize that? How many of you saw the movie, The Passion of the Christ? Okay, do you remember that one scene? 
that made your heart jolt in the first 15 minutes when the snake was weaseling his way in the garden and all of a sudden the foot stomped on that serpent and you kind of was that loud, you know, and it's because you know, because it's got that creepy, dark music, you know, like, come on, you know, I mean, and it, it, do you remember, remember that? And you remember just, you just jolted, right? I remember I had people just sitting there. I don't know why, but I'm like, I'm not going to eat popcorn and drink watching this movie. Like, you know, I'm going to Top Gun or something, you know? I mean, and people are in popcorn, candy, watching this pan. Like, that doesn't seem normal. I mean, that's weird. I I don't know. You know, this is like serious, you know? Let's sit there and eat popcorn and whatever. But anyway, I digress. But anyway, Nathaniel, all right, it says that we have found him. That's the hymn that Moses would talk about in Deuteronomy 18 of that he will raise up a prophet like me. Future. The Old Testament is just full of pictures about Jesus. We have found him of whom Moses, probably referring to that Deuteronomy 18 in the law, and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of of Joseph. What was the method that was used here? It was more personal. Personal. Personal evangelism. When you look at how Philip comes and talks to Nathaniel, it's how different it is from when Andrew talked to Peter. And Peter, when he heard Andrew, immediately went with Andrew. But that's not the case here. Look at verse 44. Uh, let's see. Let's go to... Um, Okay, we read 44 and 45. Let's read verse 46. Um, It won't be on the screen. It says, Nathanael, after Philip came to Nathanael and said, we found him, verse 46, Nathanael said to Andrew, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You ever have somebody you're trying to share about Christ? And you're excited, and they just kind of throw out some negative. And sometimes you're not sure, like, what do I do with this? Well, I love how Philip responded. Verse 46, he just said, come and see. Come and see. What was he saying? Check it out. You don't take my word for it. Check it out. Sometimes that's where... People are. Sometimes as we talk to them about Christ, we need to give them room to check it out. Maybe they don't immediately respond. Maybe it takes time. Maybe you need to, maybe they're the kind of person, as we'll see in a little bit, that I think uh, Nathaniel had some of these characteristics. You know, maybe they need to, you know, they have a lot of questions about the Bible, about God. Maybe you need to, you know, Know about some resources. Maybe say, hey, here's a good book by Lee Strobel. Uh, maybe this will answer some of your questions. Don't feel like you've got to know and answer every question. Just know, you know, what, maybe a resource is something that you can put in their hand. Now, some people just throw up a lot of negatives. It's just, you know, they don't really care. They're not interested in the answer. But some people, and this is where we've got to be careful, don't take what seems to be their negative as a barrier for you to just think, oh, okay, they're, they're not interested. Maybe they're just like this Nathaniel, as we'll see in, in a minute, uh, uh, in his personality type. But let's go, um, um, let me, oh, 
You remember I talked about the woman at the well. What's really fascinating is after she had that encounter with Jesus in John chapter 4, the Bible says that she, talking about Philip's response to Nathaniel, well, come check it out. The woman at the well, when she had that encounter with Jesus, you know what she did? She went into town to people that she knew, and the Bible says that the woman left her water jar there at the well with Jesus and went into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Messiah? And they went and came out to Jesus. Sometimes, just let your testimony Come and see. Come and check it out. You have questions? That's okay. Uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll answer some of those questions. If they're sincerely seeking, uh, don't take that as just a, a, a deterrent that they're not interested. And so look at the uh, barrier that he had to overcome. What did he say? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, it seems like there was some prejudice going on in this barrier. I mean, like, now, now, it helps to understand a little bit why Nathaniel and maybe others had such a negative understanding of Nazareth. Now, I can say this because I live in Kathleen. And I get to poke fun at Kathleen. Some people will be like, can anything good come out of Kathleen? Yeah, lots. Of, you know, I mean, you have parts where you're like me joking about my brother living in West Virginia. He's probably watching, so you know, my wife's family's from West Virginia, so I get it. I'm poking, for, but you know what? West Virginia is a beautiful state, right? But sometimes we have that in our head. We have a little bit of, and just racial prejudice, even though that's certainly big. But sometimes we just kind of look down upon where people live. Oh, they live over there in that neighborhood. Oh, they live in North Lakeland. We live in South Lakeland. <laughs> you know? When I lived in Geneva, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago, if you lived on the east side of the river, we're talking about a little community. That was kind of, you know, that wasn't as good as living on the west side of the river, right? Because that's where all the newer big houses were. We kind of do that, don't we? We have ways of doing that. What he said, but there was a little bit of understanding here about Nazareth. Listen to this. Nazareth, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but the hometown of Joseph was Nazareth. And when Jesus was about two or three years old, uh, from that point on, when they uh, came back from Egypt, he grew up in the town of Nazareth. Now, this city was unique in the way it was positioned. Uh, north of that city, north of the city of Nazareth, was one of the main Roman roads between two great Roman cities, and there were garrisons of soldiers, kind of like two military bases, and soldiers would go back and forth on this road, and they would have to go through Nazareth in, in going back to these two military bases. And so Nazareth, because of the soldiers and the and the activity became known as a town with a lot of what we used to call vice. You know what vice is? Decadence, prostitution, uh, you know, you name it. Because they had a built-in little clientele between these Roman soldiers. Nazareth was kind of a low-life town. Now, isn't it interesting? 
of all the places that God could have raised the Son of God. Where did He put Him? Remember what we talked about back in the beginning of John chapter 1? And the Word came and dwelt among us. Remember we talked a lot about that? If you, don't, you weren't here, go back and listen to it. It means that He came, that word dwelt literally means He came and pitched tent. He came and tabernacle. What did He do? He came into our muck and mire existence and set up house. Jesus grew up in Nazareth. You would think if you're going to raise a king, you'd want him to be in what? The city of the king. The city of Jerusalem. Right? Nazareth. Come on. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That was kind of Nathaniel. And so his personality type, I just put this word on there, his personality type, I kind of just called him a cautious thinker. I didn't want to be too negative with him. But, but, you know, again, he's just one of those people that is not going to necessarily just take everything at face value. He's one of those people that is more of a melancholic type person. They're very internal centered. They're very contemplated. Artistic people are very melancholic. If you're a musician, artist, whatever, you tend to have a little bit of, of a melancholic personality. You, 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 your deep thoughts, you, you're cautious, you, you, you think about things. Sometimes in the negative, you're suspicious. You know, you're just not, you're not just easily pulled, you know, you, you have to kind of meditate on something. But here's what's so beautiful in verse 47. Jesus says this about him when he sees Philip. He says, look, here's an Israelite in whom there is nothing false. On your outline there, I've got the way that that word saw there, when he said he saw him, when he looked at him, when he saw him. Now that's different that uh, back in 42 when it says Jesus looked at Simon. It just means he saw him, you know, like I'm seeing you. But this is a little different, the way the word is used. The word here that's used in uh, uh, verse 47 where Jesus saw Nathanael, the word is different than just, I observe you. It means, I perceive you. I understand you. I see who you are. I get you, Nathanael. Sometimes we think, does anybody really know me? Does anybody really understand me? Some of you think that. So, you know, I know I have a lot of acquaintances does anybody get me? Jesus gets you. Jesus knows you. He says, I saw you. What did he see? It says, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And Nathaniel's response was, Rabbi, you're the Son of God. I mean, he didn't take much to convince this guy, but there's a little more going on there. He's not gullible. Jesus tapped in and put his finger on something that I think will be important, and we see the significance here. When he said, I saw you under the fig tree, before Philip called you, I saw you. Not only does that see that I perceived you and I understand you, but it also tells something about Jesus' deity, as God, we call that the omniscience of God, all-knowing, okay? And we see 
a glimpse of that. But in Jewish writings that were primarily used in this day was called the Talmud. We think they were using the Old Testament. Really, the Talmud was the scripture book that the Jews of Jesus' day used. Now, what the Talmud was, was it was essentially a collection of rabbinic commentaries and teachings on the Old Testament and some things that were just traditions. Uh, The Talmud was very similar. Some of you have a study Bible. You know what a study Bible is? You have the Scripture and you have notes. Well, the Talmud, if you looked at a page of the Talmud, in the middle there was the teaching that was the teaching of the rabbis that were historically brought down, and then around it was the commentary. Now, one of those, and I get them mixed up, was the Mishnah and the Gemara. One is the Mishnah. I think the Mishnah might be the middle, but don't quote me on that. But that was the Talmud. That was the book that the Jews read and studied. We wonder sometimes, like, more than the Word of God. That's what he was talking about. Listen, give an example. Well, the fourth commandment, keep the Sabbath, keep it holy. They'd give you 15 pages on how to do that. I mean, down to making sure that you didn't pick up a little seed off the floor because that could be work. If you want to know about tithe, they made sure you tithe even down to your garden seeds and your herbs because they were more focused on those traditions. But what is Nathaniel doing? He's sitting on the fig tree. So in the Talmud, when Jewish men, one of the instructions in the Talmud was that Jewish men who wanted to truly see God, they were encouraged to once a day spend time meditating and thinking and reading the scriptures about God. And the Talmud even suggests that they sit under a tree where they would worship God. And one of the most common trees of the day was a fig tree. And the fig tree had unusually large... uh, It grows the, the branches all the way to the ground. And so it was kind of a a place that you could kind of get, in, get in, uh, in these branches of a fig tree and you kind of could have yourself a little man cave, man. You know, a little, you'd, kind of, nobody, you'd be in there and you could just have a little prayer time, read the scriptures or whatever. Jesus said, Nathaniel, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. What are they doing under the fig tree? They're seeking God. They're seeking to know God. God, I want to know you. I want a relationship with you. Jesus said, I saw your heart. I saw you seeking after me. Jesus said, seek and you will find. Nathaniel, I saw the hunger. I saw you. I saw your heart. You may be kind of a, well, let's just say you may be the negative Ned to everybody else. But I know your heart. I want to have the heart to see the heart of Jesus to see people. Sometimes we just respond to the outward, don't we? But notice several things here. These are some things you can put in your outline. He says, first of all, in that little box, he says, I see you're an Israelite. He knew his background. The word there you can put in there is background. He knew his background. You're an Israelite. That many knew where he came from. He knows your background. He knows where you came from. He knows all about you. It's not like you 
become a disciple of Jesus, and then one day Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, I didn't know that about you. If I had known that about you, maybe I would have had you do something different, but wow, I didn't, I didn't know you did that. I didn't know that about you. You know, in this church, we, uh, every children's worker above 18 uh, all have to have a, a security background check. And uh, thankfully, everybody has a clean record, right? We don't want to do that. But uh, sometimes I will joke with them when uh, Courtney, and, uh, uh, who just joined our staff as our children's director, uh, and Dustin, uh, and uh, I said, whoa, what, what went on in Indiana? What was, that, what was that charge in Indiana? And they're like, what, what, what? <laughs> there was no charge. There, everything was good, right? But Jesus... Jesus is the ultimate background check. He knows all about us. He knows our background, and what does he do? He calls us anyway. He says, I see that you're an Israelite. The next thing is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Jesus not only knew his background, but he knew nothing false. He knew his character. The word character, you could put in that blank space. The word character, verse 47 in the New Living Translation, says, As they approach, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Jesus says, I need people of integrity. Nathaniel hungered to know God. He wasn't interested in a bunch of phony, baloney religion. He was sincere. He was a man of integrity. He was seeking God under the fig tree. And Jesus said, I saw you when you were seeking me. I saw you when you were seeking me. And then he says that. He says the next thing, the last thing. He said, I saw you under that fig tree. He said, I saw your heart. Verse 48, I think I have the New Living Translation there. He said, Nathaniel said, how do you know about me? Nathaniel asked. And Jesus said, I could see you under that fig tree before Nathaniel or before Philip found you. Nathaniel, you were seeking to know God. Well, here I am. Here I am. And Nathaniel is like, I'm going. I'm going. Jesus was watching you. I saw you. I'm so glad that God sees us. But there's one last little nugget here. I don't want to slip by here. In verse 49, Nathaniel answered him after Jesus said that and said, Rabbi, You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. I mean, there was just that immediate response. And Jesus answered him and said, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? It's kind of a, like, that impresses you? But look at what he says. You will see greater things than these. Here's the principle. That's mustard seed faith. When you express a little faith, you will experience a great faith. A great faith. A mustard seed. Jesus said, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed. Who is it? Was it Mel? Who has it? You had a little mustard seed. Somebody around here. You had and it's just a little speck. little speck. A mustard seed. Jesus says, if you have faith as small as that. Everybody knew what that was. If you just trust God with a little more to whom you'll be given more faithful with the little god will give you more faithful with little faith you'll experience great faith and the thing that jesus was telling nathaniel is something very significant 
significant. Remember I talked about how Jesus, about the Old Testament, and when you see what he said there, where he said in verse 51, truly, truly, amen, amen, that's the Greek words. It means when you see truly, truly, that means this is really important. Jesus is affirming, underlining, underscoring, bold type. This is really important. Truly, truly, amen, amen in the Greek. I say to you, you, Nathaniel, and he's consequently telling all the other disciples too, I believe, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now when you read that, Their minds, I hope that your minds, some of you, went back and said, where have I heard that before? Back in Genesis 28, Jacob laid his head on a stone to sleep. You ever had a pillow you thought was a stone? Well, this was a real stone. And he laid his head to rest there at a place that he named Bethel, and he had this vision of these angels coming from heaven up and down of the earth. Now think about it. Jacob, before Jesus cha- or before the Lord changed his name to Israel, Jacob's identity was a deceiver. But he told Nathaniel, he said, "You're a true Israelite." The name that Jacob's name was changed into. And there is no deceit in you. And you're going to have an experience greater than Jacob. You're going to see The Son of Man and the angels descending on the Son of Man. What is he saying? That I am the portal that connects heaven and earth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. The disciples would say in Acts chapter 4, there is one name under heaven by which we must be saved, and that's the name of Jesus Jesus is the connection between our existence and the heavenly existence. Jesus is that divine portal. As we conclude this morning, I want to kind of go back to something I mentioned the first week that was kind of an underlying theme a little bit, and that's how people came to faith in Christ. Remember Andrew? Andrew really kicked this whole thing off. Remember? Andrew was the first one that as he encountered Jesus, him and John, but Andrew's the one that's named and identified. He's the one that brought Peter to Jesus. And then it kind of just became a domino effect from there. One man. And what's really interesting is there's no record of Andrew ever preaching to large crowds. Peter, big brother, kind of had the prominence. Andrew... He could have said, hey man, you wouldn't even know him unless I brought you to him. No, we see Andrew just kind of working in the background. He's okay to let big brother have the first place. Peter became the leader of the twelve, and Andrew was content to let him take that role. But every time we see Andrew in John's gospel, he's always bringing somebody to Jesus. That's a good legacy. And when I thought about just sometimes the unknown, obscure people bringing people to Christ, I thought of a man by the name of Edward Kimball. You may be and have heard this before, but Edward Kimball, his picture will be on the screen, Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher. And he was a Sunday school teacher who led one of his students, a much younger uh, man that's pictured here, D.L. Moody, 
uh, to Christ. Kimball, who was a uh, shoe, uh, was a furniture maker, shoe uh, maker, uh, was a timid, soft-spoken man. And he finally got enough courage to speak to Moody about Christ, uh, about his soul. Moody was untaught, ignorant of the Bible. And when Kimball got near the store where Moody worked, Moody worked for a shoe salesman, uh, Kimball, the Sunday school teacher, almost backed out and didn't go in. But he finally went into the store where Moody was and was able to meet with him in the back. And he, Kimball stumbled over his words and said later that he never could remember exactly what he said to Moody. And he said, Jesus and his love for Dwight Moody. And he said, it's amazing that anything could happen from such a weak witness. But Dwight L. Moody, because of Edward Kimball, gave his life to Christ. Later, God used Moody, as you know, the legacy of Moody Radio that we have today, Moody Bible Institute, all the tremendous work. But here's what is interesting, is that God used, I want you just to be, use this as a reminder, you've probably heard this before, I want you to be reminded of how God uses everyone, regardless of wherever we're at, in the chain of testimony that God uses in bringing somebody to Christ. You have Sunday school teacher Edward Kimball who helped lead Dwight L. Moody to Christ. Years later, Dwight L. Moody became a great evangelist and in one of his meetings was a man by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman and he was converted to Christ. J. Wilbur Chapman later went on to become an evangelist himself and preached the gospel all over the world and came to America and in one of Chapman's Crusades was a baseball player by the name of Billy Sunday who gave his life to Christ in that evangelism preaching under Wilbur Chapman. Well, Billy Sunday quit baseball and himself became an evangelist and became one who preached the gospel and tent revivals. And in one of Billy Sunday's tent revival was a man by the name of Mordecai Ham who gave his life to Christ. And somewhere in the 30s or 40s, Mordecai Ham set up a tent near Charlotte, North Carolina, and began to hold revivals that lasted several weeks. And in one of those revivals, a young man by the name of Billy came into that meeting. And gave his life to Christ. Now do you know who that Billy was? It was Billy Graham. But the chain started. With a shy Sunday school teacher. Who had a burden. To share Jesus. With a young man. In his Sunday school class. And almost. Backed out. Don't ever undervalue. Your witness. Jesus. Just be faithful, okay? God wants you to be faithful. Let's pray.